Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on February 28th, Lord's Day service. Our text this morning is the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32, and we will read through chapter 12, verse 2. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we give You thanks for those who have gone before, the men and women whom You have raised up to teach and make known Your way before us. May we together hear all that you would say. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. The season of Lent is one that some of us are not as familiar with. It officially began on Ash Wednesday which was this past Wednesday, February the 20th, excuse me, February the 17th. It is a 40-day period leading up to Easter that remembers the time of Jesus before His crucifixion and later resurrection. It's a time when in some church traditions, the people fast from something. They usually choose something to fast from, uh, something usually moderate, uh, chocolate, coffee, social media. One of my favorite, uh, a friend of mine from my childhood, when she was sick, she told her mother, I'm going to fast from church for these next 40 days. 
So her mother let her know that's not an acceptable response. At one time, the church even fasted from all meat except fish for those 40 days during Lent. Lent is a season of sobriety. By that, I don't mean the opposite of intoxication, but of seriousness and gravity without sadness. We don't have much of a place in our vocabulary for a word like sobriety. In our simplistic age, we often put people and emotions into boxes. Either you are cheerful or you are melancholy. But Lent is neither. It is a period of quiet and deliberate joy. It's not the exuberant joy of Christmas or Easter, but it is the sober, patient joy that comes from remembering the temptation and death of Christ. It comes from the remembrance of our need for daily repentance from sin and how God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. This 40-day period harkens back to the 40-day period of Jesus when He was tempted in the wilderness, as we read about this morning, when He wrestled with temptation and when He was victorious over that temptation and over His final time of trial in the garden and even more on the cross. With this in mind, I hope over the next few weeks to take a closer look at Hebrews 12 and how it teaches us to run our race with sober joy. In the passage this morning that we read, the writer is concluding an argument at the end of Hebrews 11 leading into Hebrews 12. And sadly, that is one of the more unfortunate chapter breaks in all of Scripture. Because remember, the chapter breaks are not inspired. They were not placed there by the apostles or any of the writers of Scripture. That's simply a man-made element to help us better find the portions of Scripture so that we can follow. You can see by the choice of language in Hebrews 12, verse 1, he says, therefore. In other words, he's saying, because of everything I've said up to this point, I will now draw this conclusion. He presents his reason for writing about the men and women of Hebrews 11. And that is to exhort the church to not turn from Christ despite their hardships and temptations. It may seem strange to us that he would approach it this way because how really does looking back at the past help us in what we're facing right now? Or to put it in a more crass way as my students have asked me more times than I have fingers and toes, how does learning all this history help us in the real world? I don't say that to scoff at it. That's a legitimate question. And it's one that I hope to answer this morning. Because that's exactly what 
the writer is trying to help us see. The audience to whom he's writing are former Jews who had become Christians and were tempted to return to their old Jewish ways and forsake Christ because of the persecution they faced. They were losing their friends, their incomes, and their homes in some cases because of their commitment to Jesus. All of this in addition to the basic normal temptations that we face in everyday life, living with people who are to some degree or another hopefully committed to Christ, or maybe even in, in some of your cases it may be with someone who's not. The, peop- the Christians of old faced that problem as well. We face temptations that would slow down our walk. We accumulate bad habits, sometimes without even knowing it. Or we neglect good habits that we should cultivate. Maybe we give ourselves to self-pity. Or maybe in the midst of a difficult time you find that your faith is weak. How weak? Maybe so weak that you don't know how you can hold out much longer. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. End quote. We don't like being shouted at. We don't like the way that He often chooses to get our attention. But if you are facing trials, if you're facing temptations, if you, are fi- if you find yourself in the middle of sin that you would not admit to to anyone in this room, I want to tell you, saint, there is hope. The perfect one died so that you would not remain in that. Suffering and affliction are one of God's best tools to reveal our sin and weakness to us and cause us to see our need for Him. And one unexpected place where we can take encouragement is from remembering those who have gone before. And, and that's, that, that's the point of Hebrews 12, verse 1, that, that we're going to concentrate on. If there's an objective to this sermon today, and there is, it is to remember our witnesses as we run our race. Remember our witnesses as we run the race. Verse 1 says we are surrounded. That is, we are encircled by a cloud of witnesses. The word witnesses is the same word in Greek from which we get our word martyr. These were people who testified to their trust in God through faithful, obedient lives. 
The word here is not that of an eyewitness, as in someone who sees an event take place. But the suggestion is of them surrounding us while we run a race. It gives the impression that in some perfected way, they may observe us. Like an ancient crowd would observe a race being run. But the nature of this crowd is important. He's pointing back. They, the, the crowd that he's referring to are the old covenant saints who, despite weakness, despite imperfection, they were faithful in trials. Not perfect. All right? I want to stress that. So if you just briefly look back at the examples in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the chapter listing saints of old and the faith that they had. It's noted for the beginning of the verses. Most of them say, by faith. And then it lists the person. And then it lists what he or she did in faith. He begins in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So where does, where does faith begin? It begins with us believing in the Almighty and that all things that we see and know, all things that exist, visible and invisible, are for him, from Him. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. It talks about Abel who sacrificed properly to God even though it cost him his life. It tells us of Enoch who walked with God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Remember, Enoch is not that far removed from Noah. If you read in the early part of Genesis, you can think that, that you would have one saint and he was godly and then he had children and then he died and then his God, one of his godly children was raised up no, that these people, their lives were intertwined. Life expectancy was in the, you know, the 900s back then. If you think that you're old for kids and grandkids, you have no idea. So Enoch knew Noah, probably, at least knew. Noah's ancestors, Methuselah, you know, all these people, they were a part of one another's lives. He talks about Noah, who believed God's word, that judgment was coming, and obediently Noah built an ark proclaiming God's judgment upon wickedness, even though he was not believed by anyone but his own family. He tells of Abraham, who left his family and homeland, that, that is his father's household, and homeland to pursue the city of God and was willing to sacrifice his own son in obedience because he trusted God. We're told of Sarah, who believed she would be the mother of a great nation despite the impossibility of her age. Isaac, who passed the blessing of God by faith to his son Jacob. Moses, who gave up the plush life of Egyptian royalty and suffered affliction with God's people. 
and led them out of the enslavement of Egypt into the new life of freedom to which God had called them. Rahab, who forsook her people and her gods to follow the true God and join with His people. And then to translate the author of Hebrews 11 as we picked up in verse 32, he says, uh, he says what more shall I say? for time would fail me. In the South, we would say, I'm just getting warmed up. Time would fail to talk about, and he, he just goes on a rapid-fire list of people. But then, we could look, even after Hebrews was written, we could look at saints in the New Covenant. Saints like Peter and Paul, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, Stephen, Timothy, and many more. They all remained faithful. And then we could, we could go after the apostolic times. We could look at saints who come later. Saints like Ignatius of Antioch, or Perpetua, Polycarp, Thomas Beckett, John Huss, Thomas Cranmer, and Lady Jane Grey. There is no end to this list. Through faith, these men and women subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, fought the dragon and his minions, escaped the sword, and in one of the most encouraging statements in all of Hebrews 11, it says, out of weakness were made strong. I have to remember that sometimes. Because even though I stand before you on a regular basis, there are plenty of times when this man feels his weakness. And that's all right. As long as I or you, when we feel weakness, we say, I'm just not going to try. I'm just not going to do it. No. You keep on going. When you find yourself sucked in sin and you say, I know that I need to do something, you don't say, well, forget it. I, I don't, there's no point. I have no hope. Yes, there is. As we sang this morning, Jesus ready stands to help you full of pity, love, and power. Out of weakness they were made strong. When you see your sin, when you feel how far you are from God, it's not to make you give up. It's a reminder to call upon God. The same Spirit who dwelt in all of these saints of old, the same One who out of their weakness made them strong, dwells in you. They too had weaknesses. We even read about their sin. We read about things that they did. There are people who are called righteous in Scripture that we would not allow probably to be members of our church if we didn't know what the Lord Himself had said. That's not license to sin, okay? That's not my, what I'm saying. But I'm saying God works in people that we would not expect what is the difference 
between one person who lives for himself and the person who lives for God. What is the difference? One is filled with the Spirit and gives himself or herself to whatever the Lord says to do. Perhaps you, when you wake, you are tempted to despair because of what you see and feel like. Sometimes our temptations feel way too strong. And you don't feel like keeping on. You don't feel like holding on in faith. You say, you know what? I want to say exactly what I want to say to this person. And, and frankly, he or she just needs to hear these harsh words. And we justify it. You don't have to do that. Maybe you're caught, and again, maybe you're caught in a cycle of sin that you desperately don't want anyone else to know about. You're not facing anything worse than what the saints of old were facing. They were not superheroes with unique powers. They were men and women just like us. James says this of Elijah. James says, Elijah was a man with, one version says, with like passions. With, or others say, with a nature like ours. And he prayed. That's the difference. They faced affliction, persecution, and suffering both internally and outwardly. If you read about the lives of these people, sometimes you can get a taste for what they faced. Read about the debilitating depression of Martin Luther. The man we think of who, who led, unbeknownst to him, he was leading one of the greatest acts in all of the history of the world in the Reformation. And there were times where he would not leave his room because of the internal anguish that he was facing. Read about the self-doubt of Thomas Cranmer, a man who at one time was willing to give up, for, to forsake the faith and say, yes, all this stuff, all, all this Protestant stuff that I've said, I take it back in order to save my life. And then he found out that the queen was going to kill him anyway. What would that do to you if you knew that you were that person? But that's the thing. The story doesn't end there. As long as you are alive... It's not over. It's still going. The clock is still ticking. Battling sin and pressing on, running in the race, in spite of how we feel, is our calling. Jesus faced temptation during His wilderness period. He faced it in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered anguish and separation from God on the cross. We also battle 
suffering and anguish and temptation and we fall. But as the author of Hebrews 12:1 says, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, seeing all of these men and women who have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And that sin is a particular sin he's talking about. It's the sin of unbelief. That's what they were battling with. And ultimately, most of what we give into can be traced back in one way or another to unbelief. Unbelief will weigh us down. But saint, when you are facing these things, when you, when you get up and you feel the weight on yourself and you say, not today. We don't do this alone. You're not facing your battle. You're not running your race alone. Jesus faced them for you. He was in every point tempted as we are, that He may be our faithful high priest. There is nothing you face, nothing that you have faced, nothing you will ever face that Jesus has not already paid the price for. There's nothing that He has not accomplished your deliverance in already. He is the one who took our sin on Himself that we may go free, not just from your past sin, but the sin that you are in right now. Thankfully, this season of Lent does not end with gloom, but it ends with realized joy. Even as Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him, so also we crucify our sin, we repent, and we press on through the assaults of guilt and pain, anticipating the last day when we will be resurrected and with the Lord. That is the end of our faith. That was the end of their faith. They were looking for something greater than just making it through. They had, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they had hope. They had gospel hope. Remember those who have gone before us. Seeing that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, look to those witnesses, look at their examples, and take courage. Give yourself to the hard work of crucifying your flesh and following the Savior so that one day you also will join the great cloud of witnesses wearing the promised crown of life. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for giving us for recording for us the examples of your saints. Thank you most of all for Jesus who has made the way for us. May we look to Him and be saved. Through the name 
his that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh,